Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on this Wednesday. WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtopradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. Very excited about our guest this morning, and I'm sure his name will be familiar to many of you as our guest on uh, this edition of Kale and Company is the author of a new book, The Hunt for Peggy C. It's a World War II a maritime thriller. We welcome John Wynn Miller to the program. Uh, John, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks very much. And we welcome you back to Concord. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> You'll be happy to know I have your weather today, so it's been 20 below this week. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, right home. And, and you're in Kentucky, correct? <laughs> and, uh, well, we welcome you back to Concord because uh, at one time, uh, John was the publisher of the Concord Monitor. And uh, you did that, what, for a couple of years? Yeah, uh, about 2010 through 2012, I think. Yeah. And uh, how, how did you enjoy your time in New Hampshire? Well, I loved it. Uh, it was uh, great. It was a great newspaper. It was fun to work with. Uh, it's a family-run paper, so they're, they weren't as corporate as some of the other papers I've worked for and, and really invested in the newsroom, which was great. No doubt, and it remains a, a great paper uh, to this day. Lots of people have, have worked there for uh, a long time and uh, continues to, uh, to go strong. So you're, you're in Kentucky today. Were you uh, hard hit by that uh, recent uh, monumental storm that we had? Yes, yes. Uh, it, uh, it was as cold as it's ever been uh, since I've been living here, and it was literally 20 below zero. Uh, for several days, which meant we had frozen pipes and uh, all sorts of accidents on the road. Uh, so, yeah, it was a little rough. Wow, boy, that that is uh, really something. Well, John, you have uh, done it all in in the world of uh, journalism, uh, an award-winning investigative reporter, foreign correspondent, editor, newspaper publisher, as we mentioned, screenwriter, movie producer, and uh, novelist. You've lived uh, all over this country and uh, literally all over the world. How, how did that uh, journalistic journey begin? Uh, I wanted to write the great American novel and when I was in college, and I realized, one, I didn't know how to write, and two, I had nothing to write about of any interest. So uh, I went to work for the student newspaper and, and never really left. And from there, uh, strangely enough, uh, I at the University of Kentucky, and I couldn't get a history major or an English major because I could not pass the language. I just didn't have the attention span. And my first job out of college was in Rome, Italy, uh, working for an English-language newspaper. And so I had to learn Italian if I wanted to eat. <laughs> so, uh, and. My whole career has been sort of like that. I've moved around a lot, um, mainly working for Knight Ritter uh, in McClatchy, 
Um, and I worked briefly for, well, I worked for the Associated Press in Rome and the Wall Street Journal uh, as a foreign correspondent, and then worked for Knight Ritter in Kentucky, uh, State College, Pennsylvania, Tallahassee, Olympia, Washington. Mm. So uh, I moved around quite a bit and moved up from reporter to editor and then finally publisher at two papers, and the last one was Concord. Yeah. Wow, what what a what a career, and uh, you know you're still right in the midst of it. And uh, the the new book, as we mentioned, is the Hunt for Peggy C. It's a uh, World War II maritime thriller, and uh, your dedication of the book reads, and I quote here for my wife Margot, whose patience and dedicated uh, editing made this possible, and for my daughter Allison, who inspired it. Uh, how did your how did your daughter inspire the uh, this suspense novel. Uh, it, it's funny. People ask me, well, why did you pick World War II and ships and U-boats? And the reality is, is I didn't pick it. It picked me. Ah. Uh, years ago, when my daughter Allison, who's now an actress on uh, ABC's Million Little Things, yeah. uh, we were watching TV, uh, some terrible action adventure. I don't even remember what it was. And I kept telling her, I said, look, I know I can write a better screenplay than that. I just know it. And that night, true story, uh, I had a dream. And the next day, I woke up, and I knew the first scene of the movie. I knew the last scene, and I knew the name of the ship, the Peggy C. And that was it. <laughs> so for many years after, I was doing research. Uh, I've never been on a U-boat. I've never been on a tramp steamer, never been to most of the places I wrote about. And so I had to do tons and tons of research. And just so your readers know what I'm talking about, the story is about an American fugitive who uh, struggles to outrun a U-boat captain bent on revenge and out with the motley crew of his own cargo ship to rescue a Jewish family he's never met. First for money and then for love. Um, when, when I was pitching, it's, I, it's, it sounds like an action adventure, but I describe it as really as a love story wrapped around a uh, wrapped in a action adventure. And when I was pitching it as a movie, uh, I would after I'd written the screenplay, I would describe it as Casablanca meets Das Boot. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 is quite a, a a combination right there. Wow. Yeah. 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 So how did you come up with the, the name Peggy C? I have no clue, believe it or not. <laughs> I don't know where the name came from. And funny thing is I have a, a good friend who I worked with at the student newspaper many years ago named Peggy Caldwell. Ah. And uh, we're both on Facebook, and I posted something on Facebook about I finally got my book published. It's called The Hunt for the Peggy C. And she replied, spoiler alert, I'm in Nashville. Wow. Peggy Caldwell. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, that is really something. I, I know there's a Peggy's Cove in, in Nova Scotia. I didn't know if it had anything to do with that, but apparently not. <laughs> No, I, I literally I have no idea where it came from. That that is really uh, something. Just 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 came to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, uh, uh, and and maybe your former coworker was some of the inspiration uh, for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I hadn't talked to her in years. So yeah. If no. Well, well, tell us about the the, the Peggy C and and what uh, you know uh, those vessels were like uh, and used for during uh, during World War Two. So it takes place on a uh, what's known as a tramp steamer, which is an old cargo ship that goes from port to port with no itinerary to pick up what cargo they can and transport it. This takes place in the days before America enters World War II. So our the Peggy C is an American neutral American ship. The captain is Jake Rogers, who rumor has it fled America because of a murder. And he's this tough, cynical guy. Uh, he has to be because he's a smuggler. And uh, he's in the middle of a war zone. Uh, anyway, he ends up in Amsterdam and uh, looking for cargo and ends up smuggling a Jewish family aboard his ship and that he's never met. But it's for money. It's for a lot of money. And they get caught by a U-boat, a boarding party. And Rogers, who's a really tough, strong guy, is also really smart. He's a big reader. His cabin is lined with books. And so he figures out a way to trick the U-boat so he can escape with the um, boarding party as his prisoner. And so the rest of the novel is the U-boat captain trying to get his boarding party back because he knows his career is over if he doesn't. It'd be such an embarrassment. And during the voyage, uh, Jake Rogers, Captain Rogers, falls in love with the oldest daughter of the Jewish family named Miriam, who is this uh, young uh, medical student who was kicked out of school by the Nazis like all Jews were. And it's always talking about the, the need for Jews to fight back, although she's kind of you know, a timid uh, young woman. But by the end, she has to prove she's as tough as her rhetoric to save them all, which she does. So it's uh, there, there's a lot going on. It's like a 3,000-mile chase over a couple of weeks. Well, it's a fascinating novel, and John Wynn Miller is our guest. And, uh, John, I know we have to take a break here. Uh, and uh, can you stay with us for a few more minutes? Absolutely. All right. The book is The Hunt for Peggy C., a uh, World War II maritime thriller, and we'll find out more about the Peggy C. and uh, some of its characters. When we continue, it is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 103.9 on the FM dial, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the world at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back, Kale and Company Live. Great to have you along with us at WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, around the world, around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Our guest is John Wynn Miller. He is the author of The Hunt for Peggy C., a World War II maritime thriller, and uh, or as uh, John calls it, what, uh, Casablanca meets South Beach. Is that uh, <laughs> is that what you entitled it? 
<laughs> blanket meets uh, uh, Das Boot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the hero of the story, uh, Captain Jake Rogers. Uh, who, who was the inspiration for his character? Um, again, I kind of don't know, but uh, part of his backstory uh, matches my father's. He was, <laughs> excuse me, makes me laugh. He was uh, kicked out of military school because he got in a fight with the upperclassmen who were picking on him and the other plebes. <clears throat> Uh, Captain Rogers had a little tougher uh, time in uh, U.S. Naval Academy. And surprisingly, when I was doing research, I ran across the story of James Fenimore Cooper, who was the America's first novelist, you know, wrote Last in the Mohicans and the, uh, the, the whole bunch of books. But he had gotten kicked out of Yale, or, or the military academy, uh, because he was just a troublemaker. And he ended up becoming a merchant marine, and that's why he ended up. He originally wrote nautical books, so a lot of that and a lot of uh, stories I'd heard from uh, my father and my grandparents, none of whom had anything to do with the navy, um, sort of inspired the backstory. And, and what but about again, yeah? And, go and, ahead. And, you no, know, I was going to ask you about the the rest of the characters uh, in in the book. Where did, where did they come from? Any any uh, you know relation to uh, uh, real life experiences that you've had? You know, they say write what you know, and uh, I was writing about what I had to learn about. I didn't know any of this. So, <laughs> uh, the for instance, the 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 bad guy, the kind of deranged U boat captain, is named Victor Brower. And he's actually based on uh, several real U-boat captains because uh, I wanted him to do things that actual U-boat captains did, and I didn't want him to be, you know, sort of stereotypical um, Nazi. Um, he was a, a self-made man who worked his way through uh, school, came a merchant marine, made enough money to go back to go to law school became a judge, uh, and then was in the uh, Naval Reserve for the uh, Germany, and then became a U-boat captain. And, and he has kind of a sad family story, so you don't sympathize with him, but you kind of feel sorry for him a little bit until he goes totally nuts. And then the other uh, main character is Miriam Maduro. Uh, she's the uh, heroine, the, the oldest daughter of the Jewish family, and I have no idea where she came from because she sort of popped up in the story originally as kind of a secondary character, but then she just took it over. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to just get out of the way and let her be hers. She's very smart, very tough. Um, and eventually, as I mentioned before, she ends up saving everyone. Uh, the other characters, uh, I had to do so much research. I would bump into interesting characters uh, throughout um, the books I read, the documentaries I watched, uh, the uh, oral histories. I even I went so far as to there's a website where you can read the logs of every U-boat captain during the war. Wow. And so I went through, I went through all of those logs, uh, mainly because I wanted the position of the moon to be accurate for every day of my book. And the U-boat captains would tell you what type of moon it was and what the temperature was. So 
that, that's how accurate I wanted it to be. I, I tell people that by the time you finish this, you will know how to sail a U-boat. Because <laughs> you, you, you'll know everything about what it feels like to be in it, what, what their titles were, what kind of equipment they used, what weapons they used. Um, and, and so the characters kind of popped out of that uh, atmosphere. Wow, you you talk about detail. What extensive research. How how long did it take to to research uh, this book? I I, I took years, actually, to get it to the point um, where I wrote uh, the screenplay. I actually wrote the screenplay before I came to uh, Concord and had pitched it in uh, Hollywood and got some interest but no sales. And then I set it aside and worked on other things, uh, like a job. And then during COVID, I decided, look, you know, I started in journalism because I wanted to write a novel. And it's time I sit down and write a novel. So I took that screenplay, and I had to do a lot more research. Um, screenplays are, you know, they're only what you can see. So I, I liken them to haiku. They're very sparsely written, a sparse dialogue novel, on the other hand, is uh, completely into empty canvas where multiple points of view, uh, multiple ways of describing things. You have to develop backstories on all the characters. So I had to read more books and watch more videos, uh, and I, I wrote the bios of the main characters, and then I just started writing. And who emerged? And, who emerged as your your favorite character? Probably Miriam, uh, because uh, she had suffered so much under the Nazis, and she describes that in really pretty horrible detail uh, about what they uh, had to put up with. And then she's a doctor, so she's a healer. She takes care of people. She rescues. Uh, one of the other minor characters, and then by the end, she's the tough one who has to rescue everybody. And uh, so that, that uh, I really uh, liked her a lot. Yeah, it, it would seem that way from just uh, the way you've been uh, describing her. I'm sure there were there were some scenes uh, in the book that were you know more difficult to write. Than others more extensively researched. Would that would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah. In one of them, it was with Miriam because uh, there's a scene uh, where she describes what life was like under the Nazis. And the horrible thing is, is most people when you think of the Holocaust, you think of concentration camp. But it was even worse than that because it was a slow boil. They, the Nazis. Uh, originally, when they took over Amsterdam, they didn't do anything to Jews. They just said you had to register. And then gradually, they turned up the heat. They they fired them from government jobs. They banned them from restaurants. Uh, they eventually required them to wear a J for Jew on their clothes. And uh, life just became worse and worse and worse. And uh, it was Holland was kind of a an interesting place. You know, it's a liberal country where a bunch of Jews during the 1500s had fled for safety from Spain and Portugal uh, and were well accepted that it was the only country during the war that had a nationwide strike against 
the Nazis' treatment of Jews lasted for three days till the Germans put it down with bullets and bombs. And then, paradoxically, Holland was also the country that had the most and the highest percentage of the, of the Jews who were there before the war who were killed by the Nazis. It's like 70%, 75% uh, were uh, chipped off to concentration camps or just killed. So uh, Miriam describes all of that, and then she talks about one scene where, during the protest, she and her young cousin fought a a boy that they had known and grown up with and has been kind of sweet on Miriam, uh, a Gentile, who was a member of the uh, Dutch fascist party wearing his black uniform and he spots her and comes over and beats her up and breaks her cousin's uh, leg and at the end she says the last thing I remember is seeing that boy walk away with a smile on his face with my cousin's blood on his hands and my blood on his hands Hmm. so that and that was based on um, some diaries that I had found uh, of real experience so it was just sickness wow it is uh, an, an amazing book and uh, john do you have a, a few more minutes absolutely all right well very good uh, because uh, still some questions for you about uh, about the book and, and maybe a couple of other things as well our guest is uh, john Wynn miller former publisher of the uh, concord monitor and his new book is the hunt for peggy c a world war ii maritime thriller extensively researched for years and uh, and and it certainly uh, reads that way so so much detail it is uh, just a terrific read and uh, John is going to uh, stay with us for a few more minutes here on WKXL Kale and Company live great to have you with us on this Wednesday at nhtalkradio.com as well as 1450 AM 103.9 FM in the capital region 1019 FM in Manchester. Presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we will be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And our guest is John Wynn Miller, who has uh, graciously agreed to stay on for a, a few more minutes anyway. The uh, Hunt for Peggy C is his new book. And uh, John, through, throughout your novel, you have uh, buried some, uh, well, shall we say, hidden gems for those true history buffs out there. Yeah, as, as I did all my research, I kept going, what? I didn't know that. Is that got to figure out a way to get that in the book. <laughs> so, uh, just, just a couple of quick things. One was uh, when... Uh, Britain won the Battle of Britain. It was the uh, air battle where they defeated the Luftwaffe. Uh, the commander of the RAF, the Royal Air Force, said that there were three things that led to their victory. One was the, the courage of the men. Two was the the uh, Rolls-Royce uh, Merlin engine. And the third, third reason was having the proper fuel. And I was like, what? What's he talking about? So... Uh, it turns out that there was a fuel called BAM-100, which was British Air Ministry 100. It was uh, actually uh, developed in the United States by Standard Oil and Sun Oil. 
And what it did is it allowed the uh, the British planes to go uh, 35 miles an hour faster than they had before because it was 100-octane uh, oil. Wow. Um, and the... They, it stunned the Germans because they didn't have it over Dunkirk, but they did have it for the Battle of Britain. So they could dive and climb faster and um, go much faster than the uh, the German uh, aircraft. And the Germans couldn't match it because uh, they couldn't make that fuel because uh, they got all of their fuel from coal. And the highest uh, octane they could get was 87. So that actually plays a part in my plot. Um, I won't tell you why, but it. it uh, I when I discovered this, I, I've never heard of it. And then the one other quick thing was that Hitler had pirates, which I didn't know. Um, and the idea originated during World War One from the British First Lord of the Admiralty, a guy named Winston Churchill. Uh, who came up with the idea to have merchant ships or warships disguised as merchant ships so submarines would approach them on the surface and then the merchant ships could uh, uncover their hidden weapons and sink the U-boat, which they did in World War I. Uh, and so during World War II, the Germans had uh, several ships. They had nine pirate ships. Uh, that uh, sank more than a million tons uh, on 140 ships. They were the bane of the existence of, of commercial and uh, military ships. So that was another stunning thing that I'd learned about, and I figured out a way to work it into my plot. Wow. So so you uh, learned a lot during your research for this book. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I had read tons of books yeah. growing up about World War II. I thought I knew a whole lot. Uh, when you get down to that granular level, uh, it, it was just surprising. Yeah, you you had just merely scratched the surface, but now you did a, a deep dive into uh, into this one for sure. Uh, the hunt for. Uh, Peggy C. Now, you, you mentioned, uh, John, earlier in our uh, chat today, uh, your daughter, Allison, and I'm sure many of our listeners are, are familiar with your daughter, Allison, who's a very accomplished uh, actress and screenwriter, director, and uh, currently in the ABC series, A Million Little Things. How, how did she get started uh, in show business? Uh, I, I claim full credit for it uh, because I, I ruined her life when she was a kid. I kept moving, <laughs> moved her in the middle of the sixth grade from Kentucky to Pennsylvania, and then in the middle of the ninth grade, which was even worse, I moved her to Florida uh, to be editor of the Tallahassee Democrat, and she cried for days. And some friends finally said, look, there's this actor's theater group for young actors. Why don't you get her to go to that? She'll get some friends, and she'll be fine. Well, she went. She never left. She uh, did that for three years, and then in college she was doing acting, uh, and then she got discovered uh, quickly. She auditioned for a reality TV show called In Search of the Partridge Family for VH1, <laughs> and she was, she was one of eight girls nationally picked to go compete uh, in Hollywood, and so we went out there, and she did okay. She got cut fairly soon. And it, she lost to this, this 
unknown kid known, named uh, Emma Stone. Ah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 15-year-old Emma Stone. Then her real name is Emily Stone. She had to change it. But uh, after Allison returned to college, we got a call from a manager in L.A. saying, bring her back. She can get work. And we said, nah, that's not. Eventually, I took her back, put her in a, a an apartment complex for young actors, and said, you got a semester to get work. Otherwise, it's back to college. Immediately got work. Wow. Even she couldn't believe it. She <laughs> walked into auditions. She said, there's, there's 10 girls in here who look exactly like me. They're a little short, cute, blonde. Um, but uh, her big break was, she played a lot of murder victims. That's what all the young actors have to do to get up. But she, her big break was on uh, the Cold Cake, where she played uh, a 1920s clapper, uh, singer, songwriter. So she had to sing a couple of songs. And in that particular show, the murder victim gets a lot of airtime. So as a result of that, a big agency came after her, and then she's worked the last 15 years. Um, oh, wow. on something, on a movie or TV show. Yeah, and, and behind the scenes <laughs> as well as in front of the camera. Yeah, she's uh, she directed one of the episodes for A Million Little Things last season. She's written, directed, and produced her own short, um, and she's working on a second short. Uh, she's She and her uh, writing partner have written a uh, TV show that they've actually sold uh, to a uh, production company. Now you have to pitch a studio to see if they'll buy it. Um, and she's an excellent screenwriter. She's uh, written several, uh, none of which have gotten produced, but they've gotten her interest. So that she kind of wants to be the boss. I wonder where she got that from, being an excellent yeah. <laughs> screenwriter. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No, no idea where she got that. She wants to be the boss of everything. <laughs> Well, you, uh, I know you talk about that you had written a screenplay for the, uh, the hunt for Peggy C, uh, before the novel uh, came along and, and you've, uh, been in the involved in production for, uh, four independent films. And I, I have to be honest with you. I, I haven't seen any of them, but the one that really caught my eye, uh, being a baseball fan, uh, was hitting for the cycle with, uh, Bruce Dern. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty cool. We filmed that in Lexington. It was actually written, directed, and stars a former minor league baseball player who went to Princeton and got a really good education. Uh, and he was, uh, his name is Richie Nash, and his father was a basketball player at UK uh, named Cotton Nash, which for many years he was the highest scoring basketball player in the country. And you know, in Kentucky, that's a god. So. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. So we, uh, he wrote it, and I helped him raise money for it, and then I worked on it. And, you know, I call myself an executive. Uh, my title is producer, but I'm really a grunt because I work every day on the scene, uh, carrying equipment or getting drinks for actors and picking them up at the airport. So it's a, it's a cool story. Uh, it's available. I believe on Amazon Prime, you have to search for it. It's not easy to find. But actually, the biggest movie I worked on was uh, called Band of Robbers. Uh, and it's a modern retelling of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer 
as adult petty criminals looking for that one big score. And, wow. <laughs> uh, it, it was written, directed, and starred uh, my then son-in-law, Adam Nee. Uh, he did it with his brother, Aaron Nee. Um, and it was hysterical. It was a wonderful movie. And that is available, I'm pretty sure, on Amazon or Netflix. Um, and it's worth watching because it's got a bunch of actors in it you would recognize from a variety of things. Stephen Lang, who's in Avatar, he's the bad guy in Avatar. And Melissa Benoist, who was Supergirl, is in it. She plays Becky Thatcher. Wow. But what what was really important about that is it uh, Sandra Bullock saw it. And she loved it so much that she then hired Adam and Aaron Nee to write and direct her last movie, which was The Lost City, which yeah. was a $200 million movie. Wow. So wow. They went... So, uh, again, I claim full credit for the success of their career. (laughs) 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 I I did help produce it, and I I helped raise funds for it, and I worked on it every single day. Wow, and that was Band of Robbers, huh? Yeah, Band of Robbers. Band of Robbers. All right, we'll check that one out, and we'll... We'll also uh, check out Hitting for the Cycle. And, uh, of course, we will read The Hunt for Peggy C. Uh, and uh, John Windmiller, you've been a, a delightful guest here. Appreciate uh, all the time you've spent with us and uh, uh, much appreciated. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And hello to everybody in Concord who remembers this Southern voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, take care. Have a very happy new year. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks so much. John Wynn Miller, author of The Hunt for Peggy C. Check it out. Available where all fine books are sold these days, including the brick-and-mortar bookstores. We'll take a break. Kale & Company continues after these words. WKXLNHtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, streaming around the world, around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And now we'd like to uh, inform our WKXL listeners that our 103.9 FM signal is going to be uh, temporarily shutting down shortly in order to do some uh, repair work to our transmitter that was uh, damaged and sustained some uh, serious damage during this weekend's windstorm. So you can find uh, WKXL in other locations, of course, uh, AM 1450, 101.9 FM, and online at uh, nhtalkradio.com. So hopefully it won't be a long uh, interruption and the uh, work uh, will be done uh, quickly, but... uh, if you tune to 103.9 and uh, don't hear it for a short time, then uh, you will know uh, what's going on. Some transmitter work is uh, taking place to, uh, to that tower, and hopefully we will uh, have it in, in good repair uh, very, very soon. Hey, some interesting news, interesting news coming out of the uh, NFL One NFL insider, this is a a story that that was published in the New York Post. One NFL insider believes the idea of Sean Payton and Tom Brady together in New Orleans is possible. 
Uh, in his Tuesday article, Pro Football Talk founder Mike Florio cited a source as saying it's the, and I quote here, worst kept secret in the NFL that Peyton is returning to the, sa- uh, the Saints, adding that the Broncos and Panthers were unlikely destinations for the coach. Of course, uh, Peyton has coached in New Orleans before. The Chargers job doesn't look like it's coming open, and it would take a playoff humiliation for uh, Mike McCarthy to get booted out of the Cowboys job that Peyton has been linked to for years. Uh, The Rams job is an intriguing possibility, but it would require Sean McVay to uh, step aside. So Peyton and uh, Brady, of course, sought to team up uh, with the Dolphins. And the NFL wound up punishing the franchise for tampering while Brady was still under contract to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, of course, uh, Tom Brady is still uh, under contract for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and will be uh, through this season. But what an intriguing possibility uh, that is. Tom Brady and Sean Payton to the Crescent City of New Orleans. Very, very uh, interesting uh, possibility. And, you know, who knows how much validity there is to that. But, uh, you know, as they say, anything, anything is possible. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted uh, on that as uh, best we can. It is Kale and Company Live. And uh, again, thanks to uh, John Wynn Miller for joining us. What a fascinating guy. What a career. Uh, he has had. It's just uh, just incredible what uh, he has accomplished in the literary world and in the film world. And, of course, uh, his daughter, very accomplished as well, Allison. And uh, she has been on the series uh, A Million Little Things for quite some time. I, in all candor, I will tell you that I have never seen the show. Are you familiar with that at all, Kat? I'm not no, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, is it is it a it's a scripted show? Do we know? I, yeah, I think yeah it is. Scripted, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I come from the reality documentary world oh, there as you a go. field yeah. producer, so yeah. it's a little bit different than scripted. It, it, it is, but but she got her start, uh, Allison Miller, uh, on a reality show. Was eliminated early, uh, but uh, you know some producers saw her and, and said that uh, you know she might have a future. That's awesome. And and she certainly did. Yeah. And uh, she continues to be in a million little things on uh, on ABC. I have no idea what it's about. Uh, I've never seen it. I I don't I don't see uh, I don't watch too many scripted shows. I must say, uh, my my extent of television watching. Well, guess what is sports and news basically. I, I like documentaries that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, it's 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 pretty limited, folks. You know, I have probably uh, I don't know how many channels on on our cable system, but eight hundred maybe, <laughs> and and maybe I watch eight channels out of the eight hundred. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish there was a way, Cat, and I bet this will come in the future, where where you can just you know uh, pay for the the channels that you really watch. You that's know? true. That that that's actually yeah. really smart. A little uh, a la carte type of uh, television viewing, uh, where you could just say, you know, these are the only eight to ten channels that I have any interest in, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, but I, I guess I don't think we'll ever see that coming. Uh, but I, I know a lot of people are cutting the cord, as they say, on cable. And that's why you see so many streaming services uh, these days, because for many of these streaming services, uh, it does not require, you know, a, a cable TV subscription. So many, many people I know have cut, cut the cord on cable TV because it seems to go up all the time. Now, granted, these streaming services all cost money as well. So there's really no way around it because in order, Kat, to you know, connect to these streaming services, what do you have to have in your home? You have to have Internet. True. And that's, true. And that's very expensive. So, I mean, uh, I, I looked into doing that, cutting the cord on, on cable. But just to get basic Internet, uh, you know, is, is quite costly. You know, that's, you know, half the price of what, what you're paying for cable to begin with. So, I don't know. There, there's no, no win, I guess. Uh, it, if you want to, uh, you know, have a, a good variety of things to watch and watch all these streaming services and cable channels that people subscribe to, then, you know, you have to have... Uh, you know, a, a good internet service provider, and uh, and you've got to pay for the services. So there's no way around it. People have cut the cable cord, but there's more to it than uh, than just that. But at any rate, today, by the way, is Call a Friend Day. So if there is a friend that you have not called in a while, this is the day to do it. Wednesday, December 28th, Call a Friend Day and wish them a very happy new year. It's also National Card Playing Day. National Card Playing Day. National Chocolate Candy Day is being commemorated today. I have, as a result of Christmas, far too much chocolate candy hanging around my home. And I, I, I really don't want to consume it all, but Ultimately, I probably will, or at least uh, at least most of it. It's also National Short Film Day and Pledge of Allegiance Day. So, uh, so there you go. Very sad story in the news, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, uh, whether it be uh, you've read it in the newspaper or you have uh, seen it on TV, but the adopted daughter of uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame pitcher Dennis Eckersley has been slapped with additional charges for allegedly uh, dumping her newborn in the New Hampshire woods in Manchester in 18-degree weather. Alexandra Eckersley, who was initially charged with felony reckless conduct and endangering the welfare of her child, also faces counts of uh, second-degree assault with extreme indifference and falsifying physical evidence. The 26-year-old woman learned of the new charges during her phone assignment, or phone arraignment, I should say, phone arraignment on Tuesday afternoon as she remains hospitalized, according uh, to uh, WCVB Channel 5 in Boston. Uh, Manchester police responded to the report of a woman who had given birth in a tent in the woods at about 1 a.m. on Monday, found the uncovered baby, who was struggling to breathe near the Piscataquag River, uh, according to officials. It's a very, very sad story, and uh, the story of uh, Dennis Eckersley's 
uh, adopted daughter Alexandra has been uh, chronicled. I know uh, the Concord Monitor did a piece on her about uh, three years ago. It's a very, very sad story, and it will uh, continue to unfold, uh, I'm sure. As you know, Dennis Eckersley just recently retired as one of the color analysts uh, for the Red Sox and went out to uh, live in California with uh, some of his family out there, but very sad story involving his uh, adopted daughter. That will do it for this edition of uh, Kale & Company. Thank you for, very much for joining us, and a special thanks to John Wynn Miller for spending time with us today. And the name of his uh, new book is The Hunt for Peggy C. It's a uh, World War II wartime maritime uh, thriller, and uh, you will in enjoy it if you uh, enjoy historical novels. And uh, if you're a fan of history, uh, you will uh, really savor what uh, John's, John has to say uh, in this book. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. If you missed it or missed some of the show, want to hear it again uh, after the 7 o'clock news tonight here on uh, WKXL and htalkradio.com, we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Have a great Wednesday, everybody.